Welcome back to the Search for Pink podcast. Pat on the back for me. This is episode 27. Um, little life update, um, which just means I'm going to tell you about <laughs> the like current state of my cat's reproductive ability. So today is Friday. I usually record this on a Friday. On Monday, I took her in um, to get her fixed. I, my sister worked at a vet and so she didn't make fun, but she was always like, people are so emotional about their animal as if they're the first one to ever experience anything. And I was like, okay, not going to do that. So whenever I have to do pet stuff, I always like act so calm, kind of being like, whatever, go cut my cat open. Well, I don't care. I understand this is just science, but um, I dropped her off and I got in the car and I cried so hard um because she's just like my fur baby and then I got home and I was like okay I'm gonna make the most out of it I'm gonna cook meat and I'm gonna like do some stuff that you know if I ever like lay out clothes she always sits on it and wants to fight me so I tried to do things that I could do with that better since she wasn't there and then I picked her up and I cried some more but only after we were in the car, took a selfie of me crying because obviously, and um, and now she's okay. I had to, gosh, this is long. I'll probably cut some of this out, but um, no, I won't. But um, yeah, we have to use this certain kind of litter, which just looks like goat food, like pellets, so it doesn't get caught in her scar or whatever. And it doesn't cover the odor, so now I just walk into my apartment, and now I've, like, you know, I'm, I've adjusted to the smell of my body. I don't smell it right now, but when I first walk into the apartment this whole week, it's just been this wave of, like, smell of just cat poop, and she's been eating wet food for her to take her pain meds, so it smells rancid. Um, but yeah, <laughs> little, little cat update, cat update for you guys. And now the people that are here for Jenica Hill, Jenica Hill, let's talk about her. So I first met her. We are both, um, involved in Vernal and Sear Theater Company. You probably hear about them quite often on here. It's how I know most of my friends. Um, but yeah, we were in, I want to say she was in the first movement class or one of them, but, um, my strengths as an actor are not my background in movement, but she is an amazing mover. I don't really know how to describe it. She's got this like flexibility, but also this like creativity in her body. And I actually remember the first time we ever had a, like a coffee date, her saying, like acknowledging it. And I loved that. She wasn't like, no, I'm not good. She was like, no, I've always kind of known my movement is my superpower. And, um, I, you know, I think that's really cool that you know what your superpower is. I, I don't know. I feel like I'm still kind of figuring mine out, um, fine-tuning it, if you will. Um, Jenica is a improviser. One of the things I think in Atlanta she was most known for, and I don't think it's on her bio or I would go and try to find it right now, was it called Martha, Martha, Martha? It was like, from what I understand, a three-woman improv group that everybody just adored and then around the time I would have met her 
they stopped doing the show. So she's, she was big in the improvising community when we could still get together. And um, I'm really hoping to talk about that. Um, just because she says it's kind of counterintuitive to what she naturally does. I think she has said to me um, that she like wants to do it right. She wants to be correct. And then uh, yeah, so she's, it's kind of learned, uh, taught her to be more like stretchy. And I think that's so cool because if you actually see her perform, she's so, um, like alive and present. And, uh, I think that's because she's working against her natural nature from what I understand of what she's told me. And, um, yeah, I think if you have to push through something, Sometimes that can make you even stronger. So anyways, yeah, and then she was in a show that I worked on as the intimacy coordinator, and she was so down, she was so game, she was so fun. I'm going to say this just in case it doesn't come up. I was watching Fosse Verdon, and I was like, I want this move where Jenica lifts her leg up above her head. I didn't know if she could do this. And I was like, I want her to do this move during this moment and I called it the Fosse and so I came up to Jenica and I was I didn't know what she was comfortable with I didn't know if she could lift her foot above her head and I was like hey I want you to do this and I'm gonna call it the Fosse she was like yeah totally and she just <laughs> whipped that leg up there um I forgot I haven't thought about that in a year anyways Jenica dear friend uh she's lovely I I'm so excited she's here. She started a YouTube channel recently, and I feel like that's what the conversation's going to lean towards. Um, I remember we, last time I saw her, we went on a walk, um, and she was telling me about it, and she was nervous, and she's already gotten to over 100 subscribers, which is a thing. That's 100 people that want to see your stuff, um, but it's just, I mean, that is an accomplishment. It's definitely gone over since. Um, she shares, for the most part, from the videos I have seen, she's sharing every single week about different parts of her sexuality, but it's her, like, openly talking about it and, like, being bi, but then also you've been married to your high school sweetheart your whole life, and, um, he's so lovely and they're an amazing couple, but, um, and then just how that's affected everything, and she's so animated she has like she is animated but like she has that kind of personality that if you like feel like her videos are like her taking her personality and then like upping it a notch and I feel like it's like perfect for YouTube and her content's great she was worried about it not looking professional it looks really good um but yeah y'all are gonna be seeing more from her she has just said she wants to make this content if it can help one person then it's worth it and I completely agree so maybe if this episode can help one person, um, I mean, honestly, I don't even need this to help one person. I still get to talk to Jenica, but if this could help one person, that is so cool too. Okay. I love you guys. Um, I am going to talk to her in about 30 minutes and, um, yeah, I love you and I'm going to do a great job. I had to dribble a basketball. For a commercial, they asked for not models. Oh, that's always what I get asked. That makes me feel better because I was filming it with Kellen and I actually then shared with him the next type and he was like, you're just getting in your head because they said you didn't look like a model. And he's like, that's okay. And I was like, I know, mm -hmm. which is mostly they're like, send a close up of your hands, send yes. a video of your feet. Yes. Oh my gosh. Did you get that one? Yeah, 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 yeah. 
so stupid. I was like, what am I even doing? What am I doing? And it's just like, it's a little degrading of like sending in a video of your, right? How are you doing in general, babe? I'm doing pretty okay, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I have one day a week where I just feel awful. And then the rest of the week is usually okay. Yeah. (laughs) But I do feel that like onset of chronic just sadness that I feel like everyone's sort of Mm. getting into you know what I mean Mm -hmm. just like that oh man this is still happening kind of feeling yeah I I don't usually it's for me it's not day to day it's like it'll like hit me for a week or so Mm. I feel it in like waves. So anyways, let's get started. Let's okay. start with um, with being an actor. What were you like as a child? Because I feel like there are leading <laughs> characteristics in children. There we go. Because like some, I was like the quiet, weird kid that only felt comfortable if I was reading a script. Mm-hmm. And then other kids are precocious and charming. What kind of kid were you? I was actually really shy as a kid. My sister was the performer and everybody always thought she would be the actor or something, Mm -hmm. you know, some extroverted thing. And I, but my mom said that I would act out movies constantly. Like, Mm -hmm. even though I was really shy, whenever I was watching a movie, I would act it out. So I would do the whole, like run down the stairs and lose my shoe and it'd be Cinderella and like the whole thing. And then like Snow White, I would like, be sweeping up, you know, and then I would like get lost in the forest and like freak out and fall. And you were um, in your little world, your little brain world. Exactly. Yeah. And I was always a really big reader. I loved stories. I still do. And like reading is, is such a fun thing for me. And so I always loved stories and storytelling, but I thought I was going to be a lawyer. And then I think it was, I was 11 when I first saw the movie Moulin Rouge and that did it for me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I loved that movie. And I was like, this is what I want to do. I was mm-hmm. like, I want to be Nicole Kidman. That's it. <laughs> so, I watched that movie probably three times in a day. And my mom would always come downstairs during the like sex scenes and think that I was watching them. And I was like, no, I'm just, it's just, this is like a bad timing. <laughs> I relate to the kind of kid you were because literally I combined those two things. I on our back porch, it was like a layer of dust. So no matter how much you would sweep it, there was always just going to be this like clotted thing of dust. And I would be Cinderella with a broom. And for an hour, I would like melancholily be <laughs> sweeping the porch. Like mom said, like for like an hour, I was like four and sad. And it was like time to time to sweep this floor <laughs> you had to get into character you were really you were doing your activity yeah, you were- <laughs> it, was, it was never like let's put on a show I was like my husband is dying and like this is my life now so you were always performing in, in a movie but when did like the performance you were like experiencing the imagination but when did you performing become a thing yeah um I took my first acting class and I think I was 12. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's when I first performed, I guess. Mm. Yeah. Um, I was in jump rope. So that felt like a performance. Yeah. I was going to ask, how old were you when that started? I was nine. So my yeah PE teacher at Summerwind Elementary, Karen uh-huh. Hay, she started the Summerwind Skippers in 1995. And I just was lucky enough to be at school 
when this team was happening. So I jump roped competitively for six years. So I was 15 when I stopped. And actually when I stopped, it was, I was starting to like, uh, create my single rope routines as stories. And my Mm. coach was like, you are, you, (laughs) I, I started high school drama sophomore year of high school and she was Uh like yeah you this is right for you like this is what does a jump rope story look like like can you basically I would do move because so like you do tricks in jump rope you know and there are all these elements you have to put in your routine so in a single rope routine you have to do some sort of inversion displacement which is like different levels basically you have to do footwork you have to do multiple unders and strength or something like that power. Mm -hmm. I don't know what they called it. Um, and so I would just like create the tricks around sort of a story. So I think Mm I, I think I actually did snow white or something where I like started a little dramatic and then (laughs) went in kind of slow, like, you know, exploring and then pick up, like I was running away. And then it was like double unders because I had to really run away. I don't know. This is really good. Well, that's how, um, like, I mean, maybe, I don't know, maybe figure skating leans towards this more, but there's often like a storyline in figure skating. And so, I I mean, I don't think people really did that much in jump rope. There was world's competition. You could use music, but for regionals and nationals, no music. It's very like cut and dry. Here's. Oh, that's different. It would be harder to do a story to no music. Exactly. I feel like the story would probably be lost. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it was just for me, like I yeah. was bored of jump rope and I needed to make it to, more interesting. You needed to feel something. Yeah. I remember it being such a random fact that you like were on this award-winning jump rope team in like not a big city and your yeah, PE Boise, Idaho. just happened to be an amazing jump roper or coach or something coach I mean she could definitely jump rope but she just really liked it I guess and started a team I actually don't know why she started it I'd like to know that story but um yeah we would go to Disney World for nationals every year and this honestly sounds just like cheer um it's similar in in, and we used the same blue floor that they Mm -hmm. use Mm -hmm. (laughs) for a while that's like bouncy but yeah, but I did practice on concrete, so damn. I feel like it probably wasn't good for my growth plates, but <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, you're you you're a nice height. Yeah, I'm fine, average. Yeah, yeah. I think like a nice height or like a nice nose or a nice ears has to do with like you don't notice it, you know. Mm-hmm. You know. Um, <laughs> that's fair. That's this hilarious. Is, when we were kids, we, we didn't even know we weren't supposed to like ourselves. And then people started saying all the things they don't like yeah. about themselves. And then you're like, I don't like this about me. It's that, it's that scene from Mean Girls. Yes. She's like, I have really bad breath in the morning. I don't know what my back looks like. And I don't really want to find out because <laughs> I don't want to dislike it. So I'm just never going to wear backless just in case I hate my back. Uh, <laughs> why mess with it um okay so then you started drama in ninth grade 10th grade grade. I I basically like took an acting class in middle school and then in middle school school I took Mm -hmm. the drama class or whatever that you could take and then 
was still in jump rope. So I didn't actually start doing like plays until sophomore year of high school when I joined what's called the image factory at Centennial High School. <laughs> and it was a, like advanced acting class and then we would do the plays or whatever. So I remember I saw them do Jane Eyre my freshman year Ooh. and I was so taken by this show that I was like, I have to do this. And so, yeah, that's when I started and we would do, you know, ridiculous competitions and stuff. So what was the first show you did? What was my first show in high school? Oh gosh, this is a bad story. It was the Jungle Book. Um, and so I played a village woman in the beginning. This is Idaho. Mm-hmm. Nobody was politically correct. Um, we didn't have any real like Indian women like mm-hmm. <laughs> at our school. Yeah. So I played Mowgli's mother. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I played a deer and we were the pink ladies. Wait, connect, connect those last two things. It's hard. It's hard. But we were, I was in like a group of three deer right. and we came on to talk about, I don't even remember what we talked about in the play, but we were the pink ladies. And so like, that was our shtick. So we were like the deer as if we were the pink ladies from Greece. Did you, did you wear pink jackets? We sure did. I really dig the commitment to trying something new you know yeah I have a I have a a yes and for jungle book um I was actually just thinking about this maybe yesterday it pops into my head from time to time I was 13 and I played Baloo the bear yes obviously and I'm sure like I did a deep voice that then they then couldn't hear and I was still a little small girl in a giant black did I what did my costume even look like I think it was probably just a big furry black thing but here's the thing I'm going to maybe one up you (laughs) villagers one was a girl and she was black Uh another is my friend she was black face Mm, yeah like here's the thing we were basically in brown face my friend Yazzie who was darker skinned was like use my makeup you'll look more Indian like and she was I mean she's not white you know but we did we didn't know what we were doing I am editing this currently this is Rebecca and I just wanted to pop in and um in case it is not 100% clear Jenica and I are not condoning this I think this is just showing since I was probably 12 and she was in high school. We have learned a lot just in a place where we did not understand the um, history of doing black face. And um, I, we're just being honest about how we've grown. It's terrible. I mean, when you grow up in Idaho and it's all white kids, you just mm-hmm. don't ever learn. Well, nobody ever taught us like how to be good no. humans in terms of race, you know? So yeah, when I look back on that, I'm just mortified. We did the play Chicago and we didn't actually use the music, just the play and like played songs and did like scene changes within the songs. And then, yeah, I think my theater teacher just like. So did y'all do it like more historically accurate where you're not all in lingerie, but it's more like I'm wearing a dress that they would have worn traditionally at this time. Yeah, we wore like flapper prison dresses. I was Velma Kelly, so. Nice, but you didn't sing or dance. Nope. You would have done a great- a little. We didn't sing. I don't know if you could have gotten the rights. 
No, I don't think so. No, because Chicago maybe is closed, but Chicago is listed as one of the most long running shows of all time. It was running when y'all did that. It definitely was. Guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah. You you can't do that. Yeah. So funny. Oh, yeah. I mean, who's going to check? It's like, no, that is so funny. So, what did you go to college for? Well, you mentioned you would have been possibly a lawyer. And honestly, I think you could have done it. Oh, yeah. I would have been a a kick-ass lawyer. You would have been a really good lawyer. And like, because before you said when I was 11, I immediately like saw you as a lawyer. And I was like, yeah, mm -hmm, that makes sense. Oh, yeah. Um, My dad's a lawyer too. So he really wanted me to be. But he's supportive of me acting. So that's nice. But yeah, I... Uh, what's the word? I officiated my cousin's wedding last summer or last fall, whatever, summer, Labor Day. Um, and some, one of my family members, like, you would be a great lawyer, said afterwards. I was like, or I'm already an, an actor. actor. Yeah. Like they're throwing out new job ideas at you. That's yeah. always, I mean, I, I am looking for more like of an income. So, but like my dad started telling me, he was like, you should be a, who is it? The people that go around. And so so my dad sells medical equipment. And anyways, he would be, he was like, you'd be good at that. And then I like had a panic attack because part of that job is also being rejected. And I was like, dad, I don't need another thing in my life to be rejected. And then my dad was like, no, you'd be so good, darling. And then I talked to my mom afterwards because she heard dad made me have a panic attack. And Mm -hmm. she called to check in on me. And um, mom was like, no, you would be bad at that. (laughs) She was like, like, that is a bad idea. (laughs) She's like, no, don't worry about it. (laughs) No, I am just letting you know that is not the the path you're missing out on. Okay. (laughs) So one of the things I want to talk about is you went to college and that's when you started improvising. Yeah. Yes. I actually auditioned for my improv team instead of taking a nap one day. Like I just didn't even know improv was my thing. I had taken a class in it. I think at that first like acting kind of class I took when I was 12, Mm -hmm. but yeah, basically my friends had this troupe called the Merry Men and they spoke in British accents and wore like tights and poofy shirts and did Shakespearean improv and stuff. And I don't remember how I, I guess I met him through theater, but they were like, you should audition. We're having auditions. And it was my second semester freshman year. And I was like, okay. And I thought about it. And I like, I remember just being like, oh, I kind of want to take a nap. And then I was like, <laughs> oh, I guess I'll go to these auditions. And then it became the rest of my college career, like, you know, became a huge thing. And I'm still obsessed with improv. In callbacks, I played this like servant man who was missing a toe. And my friend Haley was like, yeah, I really wanted you on the troop because you were this like kind of pretty girl who looked like, you know, I probably looked super basic because I had really yeah. long brown hair and like I was, you know, pale and shit and like, yeah, more popular clothing. Yeah. Um, and I was playing this like weird dude missing a toe. And she was like, I just thought that was so interesting. Yeah. <laughs> that was your first choice. I, I think so. people like when like they see you don't have, what is it? Dignity is not the right word. When you don't have 
you're not like self-conscious. Do you know what I'm talking about? Like, yeah, you'll put it out there or something, whatever that word is. Yeah. Um, Like you don't have a, I know what you're trying to say. I I don't even know what word to use, but yeah, I think it comes from like being bullied as a kid. I just never thought of myself as cute. (laughs) Like I was bullied as a kid. Oh yeah. Cause I was like knock kneed. My mom put me in ballet because my hips like turn in if anything. Yeah. Um, So ballet really helped me, but yeah, kids used to make fun of me and call me Tommy pickles and stuff. And I used to get made fun of for having bad breath. I like, I don't even think I had bad breath. I don't know. What a mean, who's Tommy Pickles? That sounds familiar. Rugrats. Cause he walks like with his feet in. <laughs> I never watched Rugrats. Oh yeah. My mom didn't like it. Cause she didn't like how Angelica was so mean. I, my mom didn't like it either, but I am. Um, okay. Someone pointed out to me once Emperor's New Groove is one of the best movies of all time uh yeah it's one of the best movies of all time um but a girl I knew who was an art history major she said I can't watch it because the animation is too ugly and it made me realize it's a reason why I can't watch a lot of animated shows including Rugrats because I remember even as a kid it's not even that the babies are ugly it's like the animation style is so they kind of are ugly I mean it's ugly. It's yeah. Ugly. Anyways. Yeah. So I, I like can't watch like can't, but like, there's just some things that I don't like. Um, like, uh, what is it? Adventure time. Their teeth are round. Yeah. That grosses me out. One like Ren and Stimpy. I just remember that one being nasty. <laughs> yeah. I just, I don't want to look at it. It's I'm just like, that's not aesthetically pleasing. Um, <laughs> But I'm okay with like real movies, but animation's gross. Okay, yeah. so people bullied you. That's yeah. not funny. That's so sad. And also I think maybe even more than needs, being told you have bad breath. Yeah. But then I got boobs really young. Like I got boobs at the age of 11, big ones. Like I, my, my one friend said that I looked like a, a toothpick with bowling balls Aww. and so then I was just like the girl with boobs for a while and, and so would- boys liked me and then girls would be like he only likes you because of your boobs and stuff and then I got like really self-conscious about my appearance for a while so and obviously like sexualized and stuff so <clears throat> yeah I think by the time I was in college I didn't think I was all that in a bag of chips I was like still recovering so yeah, but your appearance was like such a I think like for me appearance wise always just kind of flew under the radar you know mm-hmm. and I never I don't know also I was very unaware people might have been making fun of me and I was <laughs> so anxious I was just like in my own world um I think everyone's like she's leave her alone I think she's beating herself up enough oh no it's fine I'm fine okay so Enneagram ones are really hard on themselves can you talk about how that connected with improv because I think that's a really interesting connection yeah well I think improv was the only place I could actually just be myself and just not worry about making mistakes it was the only place where I didn't have to be perfect I could say whatever came to my mouth Mm -hmm. I remember um, my first improv class in college was with this awesome man named Eric Trules. And the way he teaches improv is like, you you create a a 
shape with your body because he was a clown mm. and then you improvise from that shape yeah and so like once I was doing a scene and I think I said something like I'm gonna go fart now and it, it like made me crack up laughing because I was like what came out of my mouth and I was yeah. so embarrassed and he's like that's exactly it like you're yeah. fine letting go of your filter and so that's kind of what improv became I think was a place where I could just like I didn't have to memorize lines I didn't have to be perfect I didn't have to like be what other people wanted I could just like become whatever and not judge it you know and I've had that philosophy with improv ever since like even when I moved to Atlanta and I started improvising at the Village Theater I feel like some people would take it so seriously and I would be like, this is my fun. Like, this is the place where I'm not intense. Like mm-hmm. this, even at UCB in LA, it was like, I just didn't take it that seriously. I mean, like I did because I was paying, you know, a ton of money to go there, but it was, it was never this serious thing where I was like, I have to be perfect at this. I have to be great at this. It was always my outlet, you know, cliche thing but like a woman in comedy because at like UCB and IO in Chicago and whatnot it is quite male heavy did you experience any outsiderness no I mean I don't know I wasn't really aware of any of that when I was living in LA because I was just so bogged down by life at that point Mm -hmm. (laughs) I just didn't think about anything extraneous like that there were a lot of women in my classes I think at that point women were definitely taking classes. I don't think they were getting in on Herald teams yet as much, but I wasn't at that level. Basically when I left LA, I had finished 401, which is the last class, but I hadn't moved on to like advanced or, you know, auditioned for a Herald team or anything. So I think it would have shown up more then, but I do know they were giving out, like you could apply for a scholarship as a woman Mm -hmm. um, because it was basically for anyone who just, wasn't normally on teams so (laughs) women and people of color could apply for like diversity scholarships and I I was like oh women okay interesting (laughs) yeah like why do we get our own little category yeah um so you went from college to LA yeah well I I was in college in LA so I was already there and then just stayed I, I was thinking USC is University of South Carolina oh yeah that's okay um I always forget that that's a thing. No, because I didn't grow up in the South. So I, I never actually thought I would end up in the South at all. That's so but yes, yeah, so I went to U- UC- USC in LA. Mm-hmm. And then basically all my professors told us to stay. They were like, don't go anywhere. You got to be in LA. So mm-hmm. I stayed, but I was miserable. So <laughs> why post-college or the whole time? No, post-college. I loved college. Um, well, I was I was long distance from my now husband who was like my, the love of my life. And so that was hard in college and out of college, but then post-college, you know, it's like, I went to this top university. Um, I got a theater degree and an English minor, which both are like pretty useless in terms of like, you know, getting a job. Mm -hmm. Um, My roommate after college, who's still like my best friend, she had moved to LA when she was 15. So she helped me with all the like headshot stuff and like, how do you start looking for agents? And, but I was completely clueless. USC, I think is doing a way better job of training people for like the business, but they didn't, it was like an elective when I went there. So Mm -hmm. you were kind of like thrown to the wolves a little bit. And so after college, 
I just had no confidence. I was like, what am I going to do with my life? You know, I was like, I, I taught a reading program the summer after college and into the fall. I taught like four and five-year-olds through adults this for the Institute of Reading Development, which was awesome. I loved it. It was, I, it was like the most purpose I've ever felt in my life. And then after that, I was looking for, you know, retail jobs and like salon front desk jobs and stuff after like getting a college degree it just is very demoralizing you know yeah and I was I had like five side jobs you know I worked at the gap I and I remember too one of my students from the reading classes like came in with her dad and I was working at the gap and I was like this is this is so embarrassing Mm -hmm. I mean now I don't think I'd be embarrassed but I just didn't have any confidence then yeah Um, But yeah, I worked at a CrossFit gym at the front desk for a while. And then I got like this writing job and I was doing that. And so I was doing like five jobs at one point and, you know, trying to do casting director workshops, but I didn't really know what I was doing. I barely had money for improv class. So I just did that. I didn't really take acting class for a long time. Mm -hmm. Then I finally did take a good acting class, Leslie Kahn. And that's, but then I moved like three months later to Atlanta. So it was just like LA when I was, it just felt like nobody really cared about each other that much. Like they did, but everyone's kind of in it for themselves. Mm -hmm. It's like this famous thing that you can't get a ride home from the airport or to the airport because it's so much traffic and nobody wants to take time. Yeah. Um, I loved my roommates, but I didn't. I just felt really lonely. I was busy. I was taking, you know, I was going and auditioning in like random hotel lobbies for like shitty independent films. It was like, it just kind of felt like life will never get better. That's how it felt. Yeah. And then also how many years were you out there out of college? Two. Yeah. Two years. Yeah. I feel like the post-college slump is super underrated. Yes. I, I mean, I remember a similar thing where it's funny because yeah, having a student walk in and you're working at the gap, I I mean, I still can kind of, it's kind of like, oh, this is a different setting. I'm your teacher or whatever. But Mm -hmm. I do, I do think post-college I would have felt like, (gasps) like more embarrassed and more, because I think we've been, I don't know about you, but I very much had the concept of like, oh that's going to be you, not me. You know, like I'm, I remember a girl from drama school once said, and it was so funny, so bizarre. She's a three on the Enneagram, if that helps give you insight. And she, um, she was like, wait a minute. She said like, do you think like one day you're gonna pretty much like be a big star? Like, wait, you, you, do you think you actually have the possibility to be like the next Emma Stone, like really concerned? And I was like, well, I mean, we're all paying a lot of money to be in this program. I think all of us, not just say like, I know I'm going to be a big star, but I do kind of feel in my heart, like I'm meant for something bigger. And then that's now. um, But she was like, it like, I think kind of crushed her because she was like, wait, I thought because I'm the only one who thought I was destined for greatness. That's why she had like never really stressed out. She's like, no, no, no. But I know I'm destined for greatness. I was like, Ooh, baby, (laughs) we, we all do, you know, like 
and a lot of actors that are really well known, like they do say they were like, yeah, you just kind of always knew it was going to work out. But um, you say after it works out, exactly, exactly. But um, <laughs> exactly. But like other people who it doesn't work out for also feel that, yeah, it really upset her. She was very much rocked her world. And I was like, why else do you think we're going into debt and moving to another country? Yeah, really. Anyways, I felt bad for her. I'm not making fun of her. But yeah, like you leave school and you think you're like, you're the one going to ascend to something. And then, you know. Oh, yeah. And I don't know if you're ever really prepared for all of that. Like, I don't know if there's any getting around it. I think you just have to feel like crap for a while. And I don't think I really found confidence in myself until I was 27, to be honest. Like, wow. Oh, yeah. I think, you know, it grew slowly, but it's like. Right. Yeah, I think about 27 was when I was like, oh, yeah, I don't care what people think. Like, yeah. what, but what part of life were you in at that point? I moved to Atlanta. I was 24. So, yeah. And then once I moved here, it was so much better. But I was still I had a total chip on my shoulder because I was like, I moved from L.A. You know what I mean? And I just like, well, who was I? There were all these people here that like had booked all these jobs and knew way more than me. And I was like, but I'm from L.A. It was I think everyone probably has that a little bit when they move here from LA, but then you realize like, oh, the people here are working way more than all my friends in LA. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Well, I moved here with the chip on like, and then (laughs) London. And so I was like, I'm from, I went to this amazing school and everyone was like, I don't care. (laughs) They're all like, I deeply do not care at all. Um, but, uh, yeah, kind of like moving with a chip, like you're welcome, guys. Yeah, and, exactly. And then the longer that no one realized what a quote unquote gift I was. Right. The more I was like, <laughs> love me. I think moving was a, was a very powerful thing for me to do because I thought that I was going to have to be in LA forever. I don't think I really let myself accept how much I hated living there until I moved. Then I moved here and my husband was going to move to LA, but he hated it at the time. And so I had come, I would come to visit a lot here in Atlanta and I loved it. I always loved it. And I had read this book called The Defining Decade and it's about why your 20s matter. It's written by a therapist and or psychologist. Oh gosh, I know they're different. I just don't know which one she is. I think she has a PhD, but um it was a great book. My roommate quit acting after reading it. And then I moved to Atlanta because it's basically telling you like, don't do what you think you should do, do what you actually want and build the life you want in your twenties, because you will regret it if you don't (laughs) in your thirties. Yeah. Yeah. And so I realized like, Oh, what am I doing? Like, why wouldn't I move to Atlanta? And I talked to a few friends who had gone to USC but moved back to Atlanta because they were from here originally. Mm. And they were like, no, it's great here. You should definitely move. And so it just sort of this idea sprouted and I I got super excited about it. I remember I was driving to home, maybe home from an audition at USC for a student film. So like at my alma mater for a student film, that kind of stuff happened all the time. And I would just feel awful about it. I was driving home looking at the clouds and I was like, this is the right thing. I'm moving to Atlanta. And I just knew. And it was like, I'm going to, you know, redefine myself there and have a new identity. 
And so then I moved here and I think like the community here is just so welcoming. People are so kind. The casting directors are nicer. Like Mm -hmm. everyone's just nicer. It's more of a family place. So people accept, like you can have kids here and be an actor and people, it's not as hard, you know? Mm -hmm. And it's like, the vibe was so different that I think that just helped me like realize, okay, no, I never liked the hustle like of LA. I just never liked it. I'm more of a person who enjoys community. I like being around people who are very grounded and down to earth. And that's not LA in my experience. Um, The Valley is sort of like that, but um, yeah. And so I think just moving here and being in that environment helped me and then age, like aging, (laughs) Um, you know, I, when I was 27, I was getting married to my now husband and we'd been long distance and dating for 10 years before we got married. And I think like being long distance with him made me very scared for a long time, like of losing him. So I was very uptight. And then once we got married, I think I just sort of relaxed. I was like, Mm -hmm. okay, we're married. Now I can just focus on other stuff. Like I did that, you know? So do you think it was like a fear of losing him because you were in another city Yeah. I mean, we were, we met in high school. We fell like madly in love and we were long distance for six years. So I think I was terrified that like something, you know, he would fall in love with someone else or I would, or Mm -hmm. something would happen. We were always fighting because it's like long distance is terrible. Um, and yeah, I just really, I knew I really wanted to be with him and I wanted to make it work. So I really focused on that. Like, even if I, didn't seem like I was, I think mentally I was very focused on that. Um, And even right after I graduated college, I remember I had a conversation with my roommate. And at the time it was like, if you were an actor, you had to be so committed to acting and you couldn't be committed to anything else, right? Which now I think is horseshit, which I actually think I'm gonna do my next video on. I always said like, no, I would choose my relationship over acting. Like if, if it was gonna ruin my relationship, I would, I would quit. And so I always knew I needed balance. And so I think I just wasn't able to find that in LA and I was able to find it here. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I don't know exactly when that turning point for me has been, but I definitely was at a point where I don't know what I would have chose if it was a, a, a healthy relationship, kind of like for me, more of like a traditional, like happy family, quote unquote, or... Mm-hmm an amazing career. And I was kind of like, "Mm, mm." but yeah, because then you not being successful in the thing that you're possibly putting above a relationship or saying like, I'm going to get married or I'm going to really dive into this relationship. Once my career has started, Mm -hmm. then you've put your entire life on pause And I don't even know if I've done that exactly. I've been moving to different cities, hoping like this will be the city where I, where I get it. This is the city where I'm going to shine. And it's just never been the case. And so, yeah, I think it's mostly been me trying to chase that and that effort, like for people finally to realize quote unquote or something, you know? Right. Yeah. I think (laughs) what I've learned is, is that you just have to do that for yourself. And like, that's the hard lesson. It's like, you have to love and accept yourself. And until you do that, like no one else 
owes that to you, you know? And so you can't really expect it. So I had to learn that the hard way, I think, too. Yeah, no. I think I had that delusion, too, in my head, like, when I was in L.A., like, oh, someone's going to discover me. Someone's going to see how awesome I am, and then I won't have to worry about it. Like, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever said it out loud, but I totally thought it. We all did. Oh, we all did. Yeah. Um, but it's funny, because when I was in high school, before I met my husband, um, I thought I was going to just be an actor and, like, have six husbands, like – you know, Elizabeth like Taylor it exactly. Like I just never thought, but then when, after I met him, I was like, Oh, and I think if I'm being true to myself, I do, I need balance in life. I think I'm a better actor when I'm not so like laser focused on it, like mm-hmm. getting life experience, being a human. It's just, it's a more full life. And I, I like that. And, and I think even here in Atlanta, I think it's funny if any actors in like the UK or any other city, I feel like I'm always talking to Atlanta actors and we're like, oh, I love Atlanta, you know? Yeah. <laughs> but I think it's often because I think it's a lot of us who have gone to other cities. Yes. And I know some actors who are like, no, I want to I want to move to New York or L.A. or, you know, which is fine. But I think yeah. it's some of us that have like really gone for it in other cities. And just once we've been here, we've learned what we've got from being here mm-hmm. is worth being in a quote-unquote smaller um, market. Right. You know? it, it, it's, it's worth it for me personally. Um, but the troupe you were in that I feel like at least Kat Barnes was telling me, like the thing, the, was it Martha, Martha, Martha? Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah. Oh, like Brady Bunch. Yeah. Brady Bunch. Okay. I was wondering if it was a play on Brady Bunch or whatever. So that was you and three women doing an improv show that apparently was this like little must see in Atlanta. I guess so. Yeah. I mean, so Cassidy Russell sort of like brought us together. She has since moved to Chicago. She's an amazing improviser and she was like our teacher and she was like, do y'all want to start a group together? And I want to call it Marsha, 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 basically. And we were like, yeah. So then she, when she moved to Chicago, it was four of us. It started out as five and then it became four. I think it's better with five. So before COVID we brought on another member. Um, and I was really excited, but then obviously COVID happened and it all sort of disbanded. It was so much fun. We would do mono scenes based on our own stories so we would get a suggestion one of us would tell a story and then we would do a mono scene until we were done and then somebody would come through and like a mono isn't you get mono (laughs) no it's like mono as in like singular so what we did was we would take something that that scene reminded us of and just keep going so we only got one suggestion the whole time but it was a blast I think it was just the dynamic between us was really great is all pretty much actors. So mm-hmm. we, I think the, the acting helped our scenes mm-hmm. thrive. And so it was, it was really a, a unicorn feeling. Can you please tell me um, a painful improv moment, either like a suggestion where you're just like, yes. And, but you're like, this is the worst audience participation <laughs> ever or something like that. Oh gosh. Um, I mean, there's so many, right? But cringy. Yeah, like there have been so many shows that I've left the stage and been like, oh, yikes. I mean, there were a lot of nights like that for us because we had Sunday shows. And so there would be like five people in the audience and we'd be like, okay. 
Yeah, it's pretty awful to be out there and nobody's laughing. Nobody, yeah, it's Brad. That's happened to me a lot, but I think <laughs> I just forget about it right after because it'll never happen again. It'll never yeah. be seen again. So it'll that's never... a good thing. <laughs> and then <laughs> there's those highs of those moments where like you guys are like perfectly aligned and just like on the exact same wavelength. Oh yeah. And it's the best feeling in the world. And then you can keep doing it for six more months because all of you are like, remember that one time where right. you were the farmer and then everyone's like, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. You did mostly improv here in, in Atlanta. And then I got to meet you and work with you because of VST's Ubu which um, was so fun. Our last time we like talk, talked the YouTube channel mm-hmm. um, that you started. And what was like the beginning of that, of like you wanting to make those? Oh, okay. Well, pretty much when COVID first hit, I went into, because I'm a one, I, in challenge, I'm a four. Mm. Um, or what is it? What do they say? Not in challenge. In, um, in, uh, in health, you go to one thing and then in unhealth or not healthy. Yeah. When I'm not healthy, I'm a four. four. So I like depression. Yeah. I like go into individualistic mode. So I kind of hermited away for like a lot of time. And I didn't, I told myself I wasn't going to make myself do anything because everyone was doing that thing where they were like, I'm going to write a novel during this time. Or like, I'm going to do this. And I was like, I'm not going to do anything because I don't have to. (laughs) I'm going to be super individualistic. I'm not doing anything. Yeah. I was like, I'm, I'm just going to work and make like a ton of side money. And that's what I did. And I traveled, like took two cross country trips. So I think I had basically spent like the good part of 2020, just like inside, I was journaling a lot. I was like, so then I don't know, by the end of 2020, it was December and I just felt this need for output. It was like, I had done enough, like, uh, I always want to say that yourself up this stating. Yeah. Yeah. I had done incubation. Yeah. Like an incubation period. And then was like, I have stuff to say. (laughs) Um, and so I had come, I had come out to myself and like close friends as bisexual when I like, I was basically 27, which is coincides with me loving myself. Haha. Um, I was wondering if those two were lined up, but I was kind of waiting. I mean, I think like I realize that now more than I would have before, but yeah, I think I realized that over the course of like three years and it was really hard at first, but I was sort of in a good place with it. And I was Marco poloing with my friend and she was like, you should do a podcast. I would listen to that. And I was in my head, I was like, I don't know if I want to do a podcast. I want to like do video. Cause I like, I like myself. I want to be on video. Like <laughs> that's a really vain thing to say, but I was like, yeah. I think my personality is really fun. I'm going to do video. And so I don't know why I thought YouTube, it just sort of came to me. And then I started looking up like YouTube channel stuff, like how to do it. And like, tried to figure out the basics and I needed new camera equipment anyway. So I used some savings to get some good equipment. And, um, I knew that my first one was going to be about being bisexual and married. So I don't know. I just sort of took the plunge and it came to me that, um, what I really wanted to do was show up as who I really am Mm -hmm. so that other people feel more, comfortable being themselves too. Like that is basically my goal. So that's why I kind of, if you watch any of the videos, it's like, I I say like being your full magical self, because 
I think that's been my journey for a long time, like just always trying to be something else or trying to be what everyone needed me to be or wanted me to be instead of what I actually was. And really, I think it also all coincides with, I took class at AMAW here in Atlanta. It's the Anthony Mindel Actors Workshop. And that class was the first time that anybody made me face my feelings, like really. And so I just uncovered a bunch of stuff that I didn't know I was hiding or keeping in like mm-hmm. past trauma, like this sexuality piece, all this kind of stuff. Wow. So I think once all that had sort of settled and obviously with COVID, we all had to be so alone mm-hmm. that I could all, it, it had just absorbed. And so I realized that I wanted to help other people feel the way I was feeling, which was, I really honestly love myself. And that is the best feeling. And I don't think I'd ever had that until now, you know, probably when I was a little kid before you like start to realize that you're not supposed to like yourself. Yeah, no, I get it. And so, yeah, I don't know. I just, I came up with like a ton of topics that I would talk about at some point and had it ready and then just went for it started the channel. Yeah. (laughs) But when we first went on that walk and then I remember we had turned around, I think at this point, I don't know how far we walked that day, but we walked so long. We were almost, we passed my house. Um, and I had driven to the car anyways, but I think we were, I think you tell me if I'm wrong, but we were on our way back to our cars. And I think that's when YouTube came up. It like, and we hung out for like, that was a long walk. And Mm -hmm. so the fact it took us talking about all of our life, like things we have in common, things we don't, random stories. What's your parent? What are your parents like? You know? And then it was like, oh, by the way, I have this like, and it's so cool. Now it's happening. I was like, oh, podcast. Once it, once the YouTube gets started. Um, yeah, I love that. But you, I remember one of your concerns is you're like, I don't know if it's going to look professional. Like you, you like had a standard for like, I want it to look like this immediately, which I really respect because I'm the opposite where I think like, I'm just messaging a friend and I'm like, I think I'm getting the podcast to where I want it to be. 27 episodes in, Yeah, <laughs> you know? Well, I don't, I think I just like did a bunch of research. It's the one in me. Like I didn't want to do it. It wasn't going to be good. That's how I always am. Um, So, but I, I think I've let go of some of that in my older age, luckily. So (laughs) I do know it's not, it's going to only get better. I hope. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, I think my main concern was just like, who's going to care, you know, like totally. Yeah. Because that's always the, the risk. You're like, I'm going to put myself out there. I mostly talk about myself because I can't safely have guests yet. Cause I'd like to have them in person. Sure. Um, and because I don't want to talk about anybody else. So that's sort of one of my goals is to like, not disparage anybody, not talk about anybody without their consent and mostly use myself as an example to like make a point. Mm-hmm. So, because Though I love um, like really sarcastic YouTubers that are my favorite, like the ones that kind of make fun of things. I was like, that's just not my goal. My goal is to like help people love themselves. So I don't really want to like, even though I think I'm a funny person, I'm going to poke fun at myself with anything. Mm -hmm. Um, 
so yeah, I was like, well, I'm going to talk about myself so much. Who, who's going to give, give a crap about what I have to say or my life, you know? Yeah. But so far, I mean, especially with the sexuality stuff, it's been amazing. Like I've had so many people reach out to me um, with exact, with the same experience yeah. and say, I could really relate. Thank you for sharing. Mm. And so far it's like, even the maybe five to 10 people who've said that to me, it's so worth all of it just for those people to feel less lonely in their journey. Because I know for me, it was really terrifying. And I think one of the things about being bisexual or in under the bi umbrella, that's really hard is that oftentimes nobody knows this about you and you feel yeah very invisible and it can be really weird when you first realize it because it's so easy not to know that about yourself until you're faced with it and so I know how emotionally intense it felt for me so it's just been great that I can be like one of those resources for other people to be like okay I'm not alone I can take a deep breath and realize like there are other people out there that are feeling all this too (laughs) and it's it will get better (laughs) like that kind of thing. Yeah. I feel like, um, yeah. And I feel like there are all these harsh stereotypes of being bi. Like when you're bi, it's kind of considered like, that's hot, you know, where I feel like there's almost like a fetishizing kind of, there's something kind of like going on about that. And it's just, and then I feel like there are some people where it's like, you're just confused or I loved the video that you did about like, um, what is it? It's like you were talking about like we don't we just assume kids are straight, but they yeah. haven't had a sexual experience. Oh, okay. How do you like know if you're bi if you haven't had a sexual experience with the other gender? And I I loved that because we do make I don't know, I feel like I mean there are so many assumptions about sexuality in general, just like how we say everyone's straight by default or right, right. I feel like people look at someone and can assume like, oh, you're straight or, oh, you, you're gay. And then if you reveal you're bi, people have assumed you, people, yeah, I don't think people just assume people are bi. No, they don't. And that makes sense. But um, yeah, I think that's what makes it sort of hard and not like it's harder. It's not at all. It's just different. Mm -hmm. Um, But for me, especially because I'm in a relationship with a man and he's, heterosexual it is like easy very easy to assume I'm also heterosexual yeah um and so I think I just realized because I I think I was probably going to keep it a secret forever Mm -hmm. um until I watched this TED talk about bi visibility and like bi invisibility and bawled my eyes out and I was like oh okay that's there I was like I don't want to be that invisible I want people to know So what do you think the power is about letting people know? Yeah, for me, I think it's like being able to just show up as myself and not feel like there's a part of me that isn't there that I'm just like ashamed of or something. Mm. Um, Yeah, it feels so much about identity for me, not even really about sex for me. Um, Like even my husband's told me like, you have this different confidence now that you're out like publicly because mm-hmm. I think it just gives you permission to mm-hmm. like, this is who I am, you know? Mm-hmm. And I, I wonder if part of it is 
kind of like, what would people think if they found out? Or I wonder how people will respond to this if I ever do decide to talk about it. And then it's kind of, you know, I think we can create worst case scenario for ourselves. Yeah. And then worst case scenario is, oh, wait, I don't care. You know, like we reveal it and then all of a sudden it doesn't have power over us. And I think there can't, I think there's a lot of power in the thing you were really afraid of even happening. You know, some people would be like, oh, and then you're like, oh, oh, that's what, that's what I was afraid of. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. I survived. (laughs) Yeah. 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 So I've noticed, so I was looking at your videos, a lot of them. Your most popular videos have to do with your bisexuality, right? Um, well, the most popular one is that first video because basically I came out through an article on Penthouse, a blog, and okay. talked about that video. So a lot of people watched the, that, that video. Um, Did the article come out first? No, I, so I actually made, I wrote the article about how I had made the video and not really told anyone. Okay. So like I was still hiding because I was kind of just telling people that I already knew mm-hmm. like, Hey, I made this video. Um, but I hadn't told my family. I hadn't told a lot of my friends. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know. It just felt like the right time. And I wrote an article about how I was still sort of hiding it, even though I had made this video, you know? Um, Because I think originally in my mind, I was like, oh, the right people who actually need this content will find it, Mm -hmm. you know? But then I realized like, oh, that's not how the YouTube algorithm works. Unfortunately, you can't, it's, you kind of have to like pay to promote your stuff on YouTube. So Mm -hmm. I was like, well, if more people are going to see it, I'm just going to have to put it out there come out and it I had wanted to come out for so long I really wanted to come out this summer um during pride and then I just wasn't ready I was also like living at the time for a month with my in-laws and I was like too awkward don't want to deal with that um so yeah I don't know it just felt like the right time I felt emotionally ready to do it and it is such a huge weight lifted honestly it's like amazing who whose reaction were you the most scared of I think probably my in-laws. Okay. Yeah. Because I was worried they would be worried about my husband, you know, or, or like see me as some sort of like threat. Yeah. And if they did, and you've known them because you've been dating him for since high school, mm-hmm. there's there, you know, them and the idea of their perception of you changing. Yeah. You know, cause even though they love you, like he is their priority right exactly no matter what in one of my videos I talk about like it's not right for everyone to come out and that's okay like because I straight up kept it from people for three years like Mm -hmm. after actively knowing and even having clear some clarity on it Mm -hmm. but I think it's just like some it's such a personal thing that it has to be right for each person and doesn't mean you're not being vulnerable if you don't come out it's open it's just like yeah because also with this public stuff I think I have that battle with myself too like what do I share and what don't I on the YouTube channel and I've made this pact with my husband like 
I'm not going to use his name and I'm not going to talk about him in any way that like he, you know, reveals anything about him personally too much, you know? Yeah, totally. So I get it. It's like, it's so hard because you want to be vulnerable, but you also have to protect yourself. (laughs) I mean, I'm lucky in that my parents, their religion doesn't get in the way really, but like, you know, they've said things in the past that I don't think they realized they were saying like jokes and things that really, I was like, Oh, I can never tell them. Yeah. But I think I did this thing where I just started uh, testing out my independence even more as an adult, even though I'm 30, like when I was home this spring, it's like, I grew up my armpit hair and my mom was like, Fortified, and I was like, "Look at it!" Like, yeah. I don't know. I just started started separating my my personality from the family unit, yeah. and that was almost like the first step. And then I felt like solid enough on my own foundation, not needing them, yeah. that I could be like, "This is who I am. Take it or leave it." Yeah. But I think I did have the I do have the luxury of knowing that like yeah, my parents weren't gonna disown me or something, you know, and and everybody has that. And it's not always safe to tell people. And I thought for a long time, I would never tell them because it didn't matter. You know, I think that's something so exciting about this online community, because um, I feel like a lot of teenagers or a lot of people that aren't in safe situations have an outlet online in a support system online. And I'm sure they're the dark web and like really bad places a teenager or someone older could end up in. But I feel like hopefully in like finding videos like your YouTube channel and stuff like there are safe beginnings where people can start investigating. Um, something that I didn't even realize with you, like I don't coming out officially on a YouTube channel that I think is interesting is I try really hard not to assume people's sexuality just because, you know, but, um, yeah. Cause I think I had friends that hadn't come out to themselves in high school. Yeah. Who, who people would say that about them. And then they were trying to, in an unkind way. Mm-hmm. And then those people would try to deny, were denying it to themselves and it wasn't time. And so it hurt them anyways. So yeah, it's interesting. Cause I feel like I knew that about you pretty, I feel like it was like very casually in a conversation. I feel like it like came up and I didn't question it. And I, and I think we got to know each other very quickly. Mm-hmm. So um, anyways, just like a complete outsider to this like coming out or realization experience for you was kind of funny when it was like, Oh, I'm going to, and kind of like, I'm going to say it. And I was like, Oh, we, Oh, we, it's a secret. (laughs) Yeah. I didn't know we weren't saying it because. Well, it's funny because I think theater people, I always felt comfortable telling like it was just, it's so different, you know? And it's like one of those things where as a one, I think I compartmentalize my personalities a lot. And so, you know, my family knows me as one thing and then like my husband's friends think of me as one thing. And then my theater friends see like probably the real me, you know? Um, I mean, my family sees the real me, but it's different, you know, because you're trying to like be accepted somehow in the family unit. And it's like, Mm -hmm. um, yeah, with theater people, I never felt like 
they would judge me. So I, yeah, I probably did tell you like, and not care. Cause I was sort of like trying it on for size for a few years. Like really? Yeah. Like kind of dip, like dipping my toes in the coming out water. Like even my friends, uh, my friend said some comment to me over a text. He's friends with me and my husband. And he said something like, Oh, you straights don't understand. Cause he's gay. It was oh. a joke. And I was like, well, I'm not straight. And he was like, oh, I'm so sorry for assuming. And I was like, it's okay. <laughs> oh, okay. I just came out to him. Like, cool. You know, it's just like, yeah, like that just to kind of get my feet wet. <laughs> I think it's interesting with like the VST classes. We, I feel like after doing one class with someone, you then have that like connection. Cause I feel like the first time I met you outside of class, I'd maybe only been in one class with you. And then all of a sudden it was like, I was so excited to see you. You were at my coffee shop and you were in line. I will say, I don't think I told you, you were wearing glasses and you were like, hi. And I was like, hi. And then I had only seen you like with your hair slicked back with no glasses and like all black. Right, right. Then you looked so business professional. I was like, who is that? Who is that? And then I was like, oh, oh, she's from class. She's from class. But if for anyone that hasn't done it, it's, it's a lot of touching, which is Mm -hmm. why we can't do it right now with COVID. And it's very physically intimate and they're, it's not exclusive on who they let in or not, but they, it's more that like they wouldn't, because I trust them. I know that they're not going to let anyone in who I shouldn't, or who I don't need to trust or whatever. Right. Yeah. So it's like, I didn't know your name, but I was having probably some intense eye contact. Since launching the YouTube, um, has your perspective on what you want to do with it changed? Have you been pleasantly surprised? Has there been difficulties you didn't expect? Um, I don't know. I'm like, right now I'm just sort of like, okay, I'm just going to keep doing what I'm doing until I know what's next. I think I'm really excited to have guests. Um, it's definitely hard to get people to subscribe. That's for sure. Like, yeah, I haven't really made a huge effort to be honest. I was like kind of hoping it would just happen like organically over time. Um, but I think one of the big things I've learned is to just not be such a perfectionist about it because what I would do sometimes is like do the whole, I'll, I'll kind of write it out and then I'll basically improvise what's written. Mm-hmm. Um, and I would do it multiple times because I wouldn't like the framing or I wouldn't like something. And then I just realized, okay, just do it once and like deal with what's there and edit, yeah. edit what's there um, because it would take up too much of my day. Um, and then I've noticed like my last video was shorter. It was like nine minutes and a lot of mine have been like 17 Mm -hmm. and it's just so much more doable for me at nine. So I'm like, I think I'm going to try to keep them a little shorter. Yeah. Um, So those are things I've learned. I think it's hard to know what's a good topic. Um, Mm. like I don't want to just talk about bisexuality because like there's so much more to me and to people than their yeah. sexuality. Um, I think that's like a good topic because it's sort of what I want. I want to promote like visibility in that area. But um, yeah, that's a tough thing. Knowing when you're rambling and if anyone will like connect to it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I don't know. I'm sort of in this place where I'm like, okay, 
I know I have like a handful of people that really look forward to it. And so that's keeping me going. If that makes sense. Like, even though I don't have thousands of followers or subscribers, I'm like, well, I've got like people who go, can't wait for Wednesday. And that just like, that's, that's everything. I feel like, um, yeah, having like people that genuinely care rather than like a lot of bot follows, right. Makes a huge, cause I, I messaged you when I saw it had a hundred subscribers and like a hundred people who care what you have like a couple months ago, if you were like, what if a hundred people really cared what you have to say, you know? And then that's just kind of like mind blowing, you know? Yeah, it really is. I know. And I'm trying to be grateful instead of like worry or compare. And I don't know. I realized like my goal with it was to have something creative for me that I could do without relying on anyone else. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, have a place where I could, my personality could shine. Cause I feel like with auditions, it's like they're one line or what I, you know, it's like, this is something Take a photo of your feet while eating potato chips. Exactly. It's, it's like, this is me, all me, uh, in my full glory, you know, um, online, like people can find it and get who I am right away, you know? Um, and then I really just wanted to like, offer kind of an inspirational place for people like a a video each week they can watch that makes them feel like there aren't as many rules in the world and they can just be who they want to be that's like my main goal so it's not about followers and I have to remind myself of that it it is hard because like you can because you're like it's not about the followers it's not about the money but then you see like a couple steps above you and then you're like but they are making money from it. Yeah. And would be nice. <laughs> it would be nice to be making money. And it's kind of like separating it. Just the concept now in today's day is just like, I want to be known, you know? Yeah, it's, it's so interesting because I think a lot of people and especially kids get the idea that they're, they're not worthwhile unless they're known, which mm-hmm. – it's interesting, right? Because what I'm trying to say with my YouTube channel is that that's not true, but then I'm also doing it via social media. And like, would I like to monetize this channel? Absolutely. Cause it would just make it easier to spend so much time doing it, mm-hmm. you know? So if you're listening and want to subscribe, help, help a girl out, but it's like, you know, I don't want that to be the message that like our children are getting. And I don't think Kellen won't mind me sharing this because He's very vocal about whatever he wants to talk about, which is one of the things I love about him. But we were talking and he was like, I hate Sandra Bullock. And I was (laughs) like, really? You know, it's like- I love her. (laughs) Yeah, well, I I mean, I don't, you know, I like some of her, I I like her. But I, I, and I'm sure people love her, but he was like, "Ah, I hate her. And she (laughs) genuinely liked, but like, does it matter like as an actor, if you're trying to become famous and you want to be liked and you want people to, so, and then there's just this random guy in Georgia, you know, and Sandra's done all this great work and all this great affirmation and won awards and still someone (laughs) is living at their house, just being like, she is the worst and just happy, which is fine. You know, um, but 
actually, I got my first troll like the other day. And really? congratulations. Weeks. Thank you. I was so thrilled. I was like, somebody doesn't like me. Because <laughs> one of my, actually, one of my goals with starting the channel was to fail. Like I was like, I want to do more things this year that could fail because mm-hmm. I've always been sort of a safe because I'm a cancer and a one. So I'm like, unless it's perfect, I'm not going to step outside my shell for it, you know? And if then also good, you're so emotionally invested from being a cancer. Yes, exactly. And so, yeah, like it kind of sucked to have someone say mean things to me, but at the same time I was like, oh, I feel like confident enough in myself that I know these things aren't true slash it's someone's opinion, but also how awesome that I did something that somebody like didn't like, Mm -hmm. because I'm not, I feel like even when I was young, people never didn't like me. I was always just sort of likable, you know? Mm -hmm. And I find that very boring. Like I sort of, I'm like, well, then I'm not really saying anything controversial. If everybody just likes me, I'm probably just like chameleoning all the time. And I'd rather- know who I am and what I stand for. And if somebody doesn't like it, then F them. And that's fine. You come know? for it. Can I ask what your haters said? Uh, yeah, it was something like, cause it was my, I made a video about GameStop, the GameStop stuff. And basically how I, how I stand Gen Z. Yes, I remember that. I remember and that. said something like, um, you seem like an airhead. I had said in one point in the video, like that I was a theater major and an English minor. They said, um, uh, theater major and English minor are useless to society. Uh, only have yourself to blame for, for those majors or something like that. And then basically a like list of things I had said, just negated and said how stupid it was. Okay. Cool. You're like, you took a lot of time didn't you probably the whole video because mentioned like five different things that I'd said so I was like all right this is a stranger who found my video and hated it and I'm so excited yeah he's just pissed off yeah the first hater yeah congratulations that's a big deal I I responded and was like thank you so much you're my first troll I'm so excited (laughs) (laughs) gee whiz thanks for watching the entire video and probably having to stop it rewind it yell at your screen (laughs) uh take your time pause (laughs) it one of the things I wanted to like affirm you on is and you were like tearing up a little bit in the beginning and one of the things I appreciate so much about you is I think a lot of people not a lot generalizing but um people will often be like I'm I'm out and I'm proud and like this is, this has never freaked me out. This is like, it's just kind of like, of course, and having someone who it seems like a lot of the fear and please correct me if I'm wrong, was like an internal thing. You know, Mm -hmm. there wasn't any huge external forces against you, but it was really Mm -hmm. something you had to come to with yourself. And even after coming out online and people seeing it, it's still something that you in your most recent video got like emotional and sharing that it's personal and that it's scaring you Mm -hmm. um, is I think like that is the thing that people are connecting with, you know, just that honesty. Thank you. I mean, that's my goal. Sometimes like I'll film it and I'll be like, oh, I was too like a persona and that I have to redo it. Like that kind of thing, because I do. Yeah. I mean, one of the goals was to just show up as I am, because I think I think my whole life people have sort of seen me as someone who has my shit together. It's just like how I present myself, you know, um, the one in me, I guess. 
Uh, and I don't think a lot of people like assume I struggle, if that makes sense. And I don't know. I think there's something really powerful in people who are perceived to have their shit together to like clearly not. <laughs> and mm-hmm. to be like, no, we are all like going through this. And even if I've seemed to you like someone who like doesn't fear these mm-hmm. things, like mm-hmm. I fear them too. We all do. And I don't know, for me, anytime I see someone being honest about that, it makes me like remember that we're all just in this together and like life is just such a mystery and it's so hard and you know I don't know when I think about haters too like back to the hater thing yeah I think about how you can hate anything you want like you can find a reason to criticize anything yeah yeah sometimes I'll do this exercise where I'll just think about something I really love and like try to criticize it and I totally can yeah so I don't know I guess I just think it's very arbitrary, like people's opinions. It's easy to hate something. Yeah. It's easy to love something too. And I just always choose that personally because it's more enjoyable in life for me. I remember there was a girl in college who we went to see a show and I was a freshman and she was a very jaded sophomore. And Mm -hmm. she just like in the car raged against every single thing that was wrong. And I don't remember for how long, but in my head, I remember going like, wow, she knows so much about theater (laughs) because she saw all these issues with it, you know, like, wow, she's so much more knowledgeable than I am. And I don't remember, it sounds like probably something a wise, wiser person said at some point. And yes, I will go to shows and I, I can very much critique them in my head, but not in a way of like, you could tell she like enjoyed like how bad it was. And she was going to like, yeah, but, um, but it comes from people not like loving themselves. Like I used to be that way when I was really insecure. I like, I would go to a show and bash it after, you know, and it's just Mm -hmm. so easy to do that. It makes you feel better for a second. Right. Mm -hmm. But it's like, I don't know. It's just too, I don't do that as much anymore because I'm not as insecure as I used to be. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I, yeah, I, I still enjoy, I still enjoy a friendly critique. Um, totally different thing, but, but yeah, like I, I don't get like this sick pleasure. Cause also like, let's say I see a show and I'm kind of like, Ugh, you know, I can make some mean comments about it, but also I'm now at a point where I'm like, it would be so hard to put on a show. I'm like, I don't have the guts to stage a play right now. And so like, even if I have some critique of like, I don't love their, their staging, you know? And I'm also like, and I'm not making anything because I'm terrified (laughs) of what people would say. So they are a step above me in, in at least, in least one way. Um, And also I don't want to keep you on the call for too long. I like the time always flies and um, I thank you so much for giving me uh, so much of it. Well, thank you. um, Yeah. Thank you. I, I did want to like circle back to something, how you want to talk about more than just your sexuality, Mm -hmm. um, which I think is so, it it immediately reminds me of that. I think we talked about this, that episode in Queer Eye, um, of course, Queer Eye, but it was um, someone who's trans Mm -hmm. and their entire apartment was like gay pride flag, gay pride pillows, gay pride tank top everything was rainbow Mm -hmm. and they're like that's 
awesome. And I think it was coming from a point of like, they were, they had gone through a lot. So it's like, is great. You, but also you aren't just your sexuality, you Mm -hmm. know, which Mm -hmm. is also great. Like you have hobbies and interest and stuff and like standing up in activism is amazing. But also I love that. Um, and I don't know, I have a feeling your, your stuff about sexuality is probably going to be your best performing stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, Just off the top of my head, I would love to be wrong. Um, (laughs) you go viral for other things. I love the idea of like your acting, uh, video though. Um, I think that is going to be something that a different set of people, or maybe some of the same, but you know, would be a huge comfort just of how you're talking about this journey. Yeah. 27. I mean, that's one of the things I want to talk about a little bit is I think like a lot of people are hesitant to talk about acting who aren't successful actors in like the way it's thought of, right? And that's something I, I'm kind of interested in tackling. I actually haven't filmed my next video yet. I've been putting it off, but I kind of want to bring that up. Like, you know, I'm it's vulnerable for me to talk about acting because if people look up my IMDb, like I wouldn't consider myself to be like outwardly successful in the way that people assume you should be, right? Mm. Um, but I'm like a happy actor, which I think is like more important. Um, and I think there's six, like how you measure success is so personal. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, I kind of want to, I'm like, I think I would like to see an actor talk about acting who's not already famous because when you hear it from someone who's already had major success, you're like, well, but you have major success. Like you're not like me, you know, you kind of, so I don't know. It's something I've been feeling very scared to do, but I'm interested to do it. I, I would, I would definitely pursue that. And one of the things that popped into my head is I know in Atlanta from the people I know. Um, it's very much like a high school drama program, except we're in a city, um, is that you are very well respected. And I think more than anything, not more than anything, I would love for you to have more money. Um, just as a friend, I love you. <laughs> it's not the most important, but you are very well respected as just, I am for one, as a kind, lovely human, but then also your talent is respected. And no matter how successful you get, some people just are going to shit on you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) As we've learned. Okay. Um, real fast. I have to take a shower before I go to therapy. And I looked down and I was like, Oh, okay. Real fast. Two things I'm wanting to start to ask everyone is cringe audition story. Yeah. So, um, mine's from college. Mm -hmm. I was a freshman. I had decided to audition for everything. This was before they like, they didn't let you do that anymore. But um, I decided I was going to audition for the student run musical. And this was a very prestigious like student musical group. Okay. And I had only ever been in one musical. I'm not musically theater trained. I had done voice coaching for a while, but not, you know, for very long. So I didn't have anything prepared. So I went to the library and I got the music to popular from Wicked and the music Classic. to a song from Rent, of course, because like those are the only things I thought I could do. Is it Mimi's song? I did. Uh, was it Mimi's song? And now I don't um, even remember because I never sang it. So okay. I, um, I practiced with my roommate who was a piano uh, major 
And then I went to the audition and I forgot the words to popular um, twice. <laughs> and the seniors who were watching me had to like help me, like sing it with me because they felt so bad. And the pianist was like too fast for me or something, or like, I didn't know what key I was supposed to be in. Like, I just wasn't prepared. It was awful. Mm -hmm. Um, The, the girl who was like taking people's names was super rude to me. I came out and I was trying to like be self-deprecating and joke about how terrible it went. And she was like, never sing a song like popular for a musical theater audition because it's, everybody knows it. That's such a bad idea. And I was like, oh, And I was walking home to my dorm. This was like my first week of college Mm. and my acting 101. Oh, your first week of college. Oh, yes. That makes it so much worse. Yes. And um, my acting 101 teacher walked by and I started bawling when she's like, how are you? I was like, I just bombed this audition. And um, for years, I could not go to a musical theater audition without forgetting the words because I was so traumatized and then I realized it just wasn't for me and I stopped bothering (laughs) yep and there's a difference between I'm the same with musical theater I have a deep love for musical theater and it's not I've accepted it's not me being too chicken to do it Mm -hmm. I've accepted I don't want to you know are there dream roles I have that I would love to play but I probably won't because I don't do musical theater anymore Yes. But like, I'm not, I'm not going to do it. (laughs) That's I I tried. I took it as like a same thing. Like I I was like, this is a decision. Yeah. It's not that I'm just bad at it. I don't want to do it. (laughs) I'm rejecting you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I broke up with you. (laughs) Um, Okay. And other question. I, it's so silly. I have the podcast is called the search for pink and I never bring it up how, so the search for pink embodies, I was really depressed when I started the Instagram account um, with the same name of um, trying to find, I used to every single day, try to find one positive thing a day. And that's something that really helped bring me out of a darker place. That's what is something you do? Um, It doesn't even have to be like one happy thing, but like, What's something that has helped you come out of a dark place? Yeah. I think gratitude, like, mm-hmm. I know it sounds cliche, but it really works every time for me, like journaling specifically about things I'm grateful for, mm-hmm. um, because then I get in and I'll, if I'm in a really dark place, like emotionally, I'll start at the most basic level things. Like I have a bed <laughs> and like, I have people who love me and I start thinking about all the good things instead of all the bad things. And it really does help because I'm like, wait a second, my life is great. What am I so upset about? Because it's easy for me to spin into like all the bad stuff. Like for example, with acting, it's like, oh, I didn't book that. Or I have this agent, not that agent, or, you know, I don't get these auditions. And then instead literally going, but I got this audition. I have this agent from where I was 10 years ago, I've grown so much. I've done this thing that I really love. I feel really good about this aspect of my training or whatever. And then it just like switches my brain. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Cause if someone was like, Rebecca, go into a spiral right now, I could easily come into one. Absolutely. (laughs) Me too. Yeah. Like not even like get into character, but yeah. And, and it's just, um, I love that. Yeah. 
writing down what you're grateful for. I think there's also something about putting pen to paper. Yeah. It makes you slow down kind of. And it, it gets you out of, out of your head. Um, but yeah. Yeah. okay. Jenica, thank you so much for talking to me and I really appreciate it. And thank you, um, thank you for being my friend. Thank you for being my friend. Oh, I love you so much. (laughs) I love you so so much. I've been looking forward to this. And guys, time count, uh, we have done over two hours. So (laughs) once again, I am nailing it for uh, staying prompt and concise. Fun. I'm so, I'm so excited. I'm honored that you asked me. Thank you. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Anytime. I'm honestly like so sad it's over. I wish I wish it was. Well, guess what? I'm going to have to have you as a guest when we can do that. And then it'll like be round two. Yes. Round two. And then by then I'll have you back on. <laughs> yeah. By then. I know. It's like, that's a lot of content together. Yes. I will make content with you any day. I love you, babe. I love you too. Bye. Bye. And that was Jenica Hill. Um, thank you so much, Jenica, for coming on to the podcast. You can find her on all social media platforms. Um, Her name is spelled J-E-N-N-I-C-A-H-I-L-L. Not, that was annoying. Um, She is working on the show uh, Gentrification here in Atlanta. Her and some fabulous funny people. It's really smart. It's really cool. You should give their Instagram a follow as well. And that's just at Gentrification the show. Um, she is fabulous. Definitely subscribe to her YouTube. Please do. And, um, please subscribe to this podcast. People always say, like, it really does help the show if you subscribe. I guess so, because, like, everybody says that. Um, but also I'd like for you to enjoy this episode enough to want to subscribe. An acting teacher once told me I was the female Michael Sarah, and sometimes I hear it in what I say. Um, and then also, but something I can and um, tangibly understand is if you like it and if you leave a comment. We are at 26 comments, and this is the 27th episode. So if we could then get to 27 likes, then it'll all be worth it then one day I'll have done a million episodes and I'll have a million likes. Because that's math, right? I am recording this the morning I release it. I never record the ending right after I stop taping with someone. So I'm now, guys, going to go make some coffee. And I woke up early to record this intro. So And now I'm going to go get caught up on The Bachelor because I have too many friends who are main correspondents begins at that we talk about other things afterwards like I had I had a talk with a friend last night we were texting about the bachelor and then I was like wait how are you doing and then we ended up having a four-hour discussion about mental health and stuff so you know that it's apparently how I'm gonna keep some of my friends around um (laughs) all right well I love you guys once again Go find Jenica Hill. My cat just almost knocked down the radiator. Are you okay, baby? Go subscribe to her YouTube. I love you very much. Have a good day.